Welcome to Uncomfortable Podcast. This is a 30-ish minute podcast created to celebrate and showcase diversity within Black Male Thought. I'm Darius Watkins. Yep, I'm Ryan Thomas. Hey, and we are live. Ryan, what's good? Yes, sir. Man, what's good? Ah, uh, that's such a good question, man. Um, just reflecting over this past week or the past podcast that we did mm-hmm. uh, about voting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went on ahead and voted this week, early voted, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I want to be a person who doesn't just spread convictions, but also like live by those convictions. So I went out, stood in the cold and early mm-hmm. voted. And um, honestly, man, I felt good, you mm-hmm. know? And, and my thing is this, it's not, it's not necessarily about like the symbolism of it all. I think mm-hmm. sometimes that's what we get caught up in. Like, oh, I voted, we put the sticker on. Mm-hmm. I feel symbolically good. Yeah. yeah, no, I actually felt, I actually felt this one. And I think it mm-hmm. was just because of the, the the climate that we that we kind of have going on right now, you know what I'm saying? The nation and the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I felt different. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's huge. Uh, just talking about like where we are um, as a society, as a society, and I think that like society, mainly older society, kind of tells us all the time that like the younger generation doesn't really do anything. Um, and now you see like the, the voting numbers like looking like what they're looking like now. And I'm really intrigued to see like what it looks like for people um, between the ages, really the ages of 25 to 35. Cause those have been like 25 to 33 maybe even, but cause those have been like people like taking bullets uh, from, from like older people, like for the past, what, 10 years? We gonna see. It's funny that you talk about the climate that we're in right now, uh, kind of talking about um, those things. Um, we, we've had a lot of good guests on like, throughout like the duration of the podcast last season um we had like get guests that came on they were just doing great things period like they were they Absolutely. were at a really good place like w- when they came on a podcast but afterwards like they kind of like took it to the next level you saw it with Bartholomew Jones like he was you know what I'm saying on a podcast talking about coffee black and then like now it's being featured on, on all kind of websites and stuff like that um you saw uh BK like the, the home seller come on and now he's selling all kind of homes even in the midst of everything um and then um, we had our guy Jeff Johnson come on, uh, the coach, and now he's written a book about coaches. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of our highest rated episodes from last seasons, last season was um, the episode in regards to black mental health with Do- Dr. Justin Dotson. Um, and yes. since then, he has gone on to write a book. Um, I'm really excited about that book. We're going to talk about that book today. The book is called The Courage of a Single Freckle, Navigating Your Black. Um, the book is like really, really good, Ryan. I know you hadn't gotten a chance to read it yet, but like I have. Um, for one, it's short. Um, and another thing, after every chapter, you get a chance to really just like write down a reflection in your of your own personal life based on what the what the chapter is talking about. And I think that's the future of books as it relates to like millennials, honestly. So I think he's on to something that's really, really good. If you guys hadn't figured it out yet, I'm talking about my guy, Dr. Justin K. Dotson. What's good, man? What's up, everybody? How you guys doing? I'm doing all right. What's going on, Justin? You know, just out here living the dream, gaining quarantine weight. But, you know, I can't even blame it all on quarantine because it was happening before then. (laughs) (laughs) Man, so I want to talk about the book, but like what motivated you to write a book? What motivated you to write a whole book? You know, it's so interesting because I never I don't know if I ever saw myself writing a book. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what drew me to it? Honestly, I was working at a university and I was really pissed off one day at my boss for what I believe was a microaggression. Mm -hmm. I just walked over to the student UC and I just started writing. I wrote about that experience and then that 
snowballed into me writing about other experiences and it just mm -hmm. became therapeutic for me to write um, mm -hmm. and get my emotions out because I knew if I stayed angry at those people that I felt did me wrong, it wouldn't get me anywhere. It wouldn't be of benefit to me. Uh, so I just started writing and time after time I'd wake up in the middle of the night and just write and I'd make notes in my phone at things that, that came to me. And one day I said, you know, I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to make this into a book. And mm -hmm. I found a black publisher here in Memphis mm -hmm. and I got connected with her, had a really good first uh, consultation. And mm -hmm. from there, I just said, you know, I'm going to do this as scary as it is. It was therapeutic for me. So I'm hoping that if I can put it out in the way that I did, it can do the same for somebody else. Because I think for me, it was really important to figure out what was my role, what was my role in this climate. You know, some people are choosing to protest. Some people are choosing to do things on social media. And so for me, my contribution was to write a book that I would hope would create uncomfortable conversations for people mm -hmm. to fill up that space to try to make movement and progress. Mm -hmm. Do you feel comfortable talking about what that microaggression was that that kind of fueled you or or something along the lines of like, you know, not necessarily telling what it was or who it was, but what, yeah, what was so it? I, I experienced so much at that particular job. Uh, but that day I was given an assignment by my by my boss at the time and I presented it to him and he said, wow this is really good. Did you do this on your own? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And I said, yeah, I did. I wanted to make sure I met the deadline that you gave me. And he said, so you didn't get any help with this? Oh, wow. And I just, you know, sometimes you just, you know how older people say you laugh to keep from crying. Uh, mm -hmm. And I did that. And, you know, it was in that moment, you have to realize, all right, am I going to go off on this man and lose my job? Or am I going to go find something constructive to do with this energy and this emotion that I'm feeling right now. And so for me, I wrote about it and that's how I felt better. And then after lunch, I just went back to work and I realized, all right, well, that's what that's going to be. Um, I can't really change where he is in life, but I can change how I, how I choose to manage dealing with him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, and I'm pretty sure this is the same person that you're talking about in the book, um, that you yeah. call literally the worst boss you've ever had. Yeah. Um, so, let, let's just jump right into this. Um, I think that this is like the experience that like a lot of black people feel like in the workspace, especially where they are one of the few uh, black people there um, or one of the few black people there who, who has not assimilated to the ways of the culture in, the, in that said building. And one thing that you talked about was that um, it was this unspoken tension between y'all. Yeah. And oftentimes he would like pace, pace the room before talking to you, uh, literally like pace the room or talk to you talk to you through your black supervisor. Yeah. Um, so can you just kind of like explain like how that, how that made you feel as a black person? Yeah, you know, it, so it's so interesting. You know how you go uh, to a cafeteria or you enter in a session or I don't know, you're at a conference or any type of public space. And you know, we, we pretty much scan the room and mm -hmm. you just figure out where your safe places are gonna be or your safe people mm -hmm. are gonna be. You know, even in a cafeteria with children, you may see segregated parts of eating. You know, in college in the UC that I went to, UT Chattanooga, they would call the black section Little Africa because all the black people sat mm. up top and you had mostly white people that sat in a different area and it was just segregated. 
Uh, and so I find myself as a minority male when I enter in different classrooms or conferences or even jobs, I'm looking at what's around me because I'm instantly thinking, where's gonna be a safe place for me? And usually we find community in people that look like us. Um, we also can find community in people that don't look like us, but I think mm -hmm. initially we shoot for, okay, he looks safe or he's by himself, so I'm gonna sit with him or he's black or he's whiter or this person looks, looks safe for me. So starting this job, I recognized that I was the only black male in the office. Mm -hmm. And actually the only male, it was only himself and myself were the only males. Um, mm -hmm. And I was the only black male for a while in that office. And that already felt alienated. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one time on the job where I was getting to know everybody's name. It had to be the first week. And I'm ter terrible with names if anybody knows me. And they said, oh, no, don't worry. We'll just add you on Facebook. And I said, oh, well, I don't really add coworkers on Facebook. Neither do I. Right. <laughs> okay. That's, that's not no. a thing for me, right? You keep mm -hmm. it separate. And that came up in my evaluation. It came up in my evaluation that I wasn't friendly and I didn't add people on Facebook. Wow. And so, you know, it was just times like that. And part of my feedback was, oh, well, he keeps his desk clean. That's not, that's not feedback. <laughs> um, and so I'm going on to say that it felt alienated just because of the, the makeup of the office. But then you had instances where I could tell he didn't want to talk to me or he was uncomfortable or people in the office didn't really take my being direct as good. They took it as aggression. Mm -hmm. But I think that's because the culture of the space was so different and everybody tiptoed around things that when you finally had somebody that was direct and spoke the truth, then it came across as something different than what it was intended to do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and I mean, I just wanna read an excerpt, a paragraph from this book. Is that, is that okay with you? Cause I know some people don't like when. I, you, let's, let's, let's yeah. go. All right, cool. Cause I think that this is how a lot of black people feel period. Um, and this is within context of you applying for a job um, at a university. It was over 200 applicants and you made the top three. The, oh, uh, the other two people that, um, were in the field or in that they were left or white. So um, I just want to read um, basically like, and I think this is how you felt afterwards and like a synopsis of how you felt. It says, we, we are tasked with avoiding the use of race as an excuse while not continually perpetuating the angry black person stereotype. Unfortunately, we are, labeled, we are labeled as angry black people when we hold our tongues in the face of ignorance. Just like the Vegas shooting that took place in 2017, Racism is like bullets coming at us, and we don't know which direction it will come from next. Uh, it feels like our backs are against the wall sometimes. It isn't a miserable life to live, but it is a little bit more challenging. Yeah. Mm. Like, there was bars, man. You could have put that on a freestyle, honestly. Like, you know, like, I, <laughs> in my head, I am baby Drake. In my head. <laughs> I'm going to try somebody. I'm not doing a battle. The light skin legend. I love a good cypher. Uh, mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. Yeah, and and you, you know, got some more, you, you got some more bars that we're gonna get to in a little bit um, okay. that, that you actually wrote. Like you actually wrote these bars. <laughs> I think you know. I think you know what I'm talking about. Ryan doesn't, but um, we're gonna get to that in a minute. But I feel like every black person has felt that in some capacity, um, where you can't necessarily call something racist, racist um, but you're still gonna be labeled as anything. Uh, you're still gonna be labeled in this way. And you're avoiding that the whole time, whether it's walking on the other side of the sidewalk, when you like that you as like a large, I mean, not large, but like viewed as a large black guy um, is walking <laughs> behind a white woman. 
Um, like yeah. you always walk to the opposite side. Like as somebody who went to Ole Miss, like I can relate to that because you don't want any negative stereotypes perpetuated onto you. Uh, and I feel like, I don't know, like when I read the book, when I read this part, I was like, dang, like mo all black people can relate to this. Uh, we're, we're constantly being being viewed that way. And honestly, um, and I, it's, it's a political season, so I can't help it. But it makes me think about uh, Kamala Harris, like as she debates Mike Pence and like the mental gymnastics that she has to go through that he doesn't have to go through. She don't want she don't want to be seen as the angry black woman. She doesn't want to mm -hmm. be seen as this and that. So she has to let some things go, whereas he can like interrupt the he can interrupt the person the whole time. And even though it sounds respectful, like it's really not. And yeah. she doesn't she's not afforded that liberty to do that. So like that was the first thing I thought about when I read that part. Um, yeah. And and I wanted to ask you, too, about like a little bit more about racial gaslighting. Right. Like Jared Kushner's statement earlier this week. Uh, so for those who don't know, Jerry Kushner is the uh, senior advisor to President Trump. He's also President Trump's son-in-law. Shout out to nepotism. And um, he's, he made this statement earlier this week. He said, one thing we've seen in a lot of black community, which is mostly Democrat, is that President Trump's policies are the policies that can help people break out of the problems they're complaining about. But he can't want them to be successful more than they want to be successful. So basically, he's he's saying that black people are lazy right. or they lack this drive to be successful inherently, like it's just in our DNA to lack this. And and I feel like that's such a, a, a gaslighting statement, because on the one hand, you have Donald Trump touting and like, you know, uplifting the fact that he has the highest black unemployment rate. And then on the other hand, he's they're saying well, black people don't want to be successful. That's why they're not taking advantage of Trump's policies. So they're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're doing a whole bunch of, like Darius said, mental gymnastics to, I don't even know if they're trying to sway the black community more so than like influence the white community. I, I, you know, so I guess my thoughts, uh, my, to relate back to your book is, you know, when you see gaslighting like that, like how do, how do you deal with it? And I know you wrote a book and that's that's great because that's a great release. But like, what what advice would you give as a mental health expert for Black people who have to deal with stuff like that on the work, you know, at work or you know, yeah. in public places, things of that nature? Absolutely, that's a really good question, Ryan. I you know I wrote about this in the book actually. I these are my action steps walking away. So things that I've learned, we have to protect our peace. So that's that's the long of the short to that answer. We have to protect our peace, and and you have to figure out a where does your peace lie first and how you will go about that yourself. So I have learned that the best way for me to handle things is to choose my battles. I think that work environments are similar to relationships, right? So you will pick your battles. Uh, you won't always pick at something that's happening because you learn what you can live with and then you, you know when you can correct things. For my boss that I speak about in the book, I, he, he's an older white male. So in my opinion, he wasn't changing his ways. That was just going to be who he was. So then I had to figure out how I was going to respond myself. I do think that there are opportunities that we can take as people of color to educate other races um, only when the receiving end is going to be open to receiving what we have to offer. I think yeah. we have to continue to be kind to one another. You know, there was a time 
where I, I would just keep my head down and I didn't want to speak to other white people because I didn't know if they were going to be racist or if I didn't, I didn't know how they were going to receive me or should I be afraid of them. And then I quickly realized, no, that doesn't fix anything. That doesn't help. I need to remember to be kind to people and extend grace to everybody because I would want that done to me as well. So this definitely isn't about being nasty or rude to people that aren't Black. It's more so about identifying your own story and your own journey because this book really does relate to the racial identity model that uh, William Cross developed um, before. And so we find peace and joy through storytelling. You know, you can think about stories that your parents have told you or your grandparents and you get together with old college buddies and you tell stories. And, and, and I think that that's a beautiful thing. So for me, it's really about, okay, that was a microaggression or that was, that was gaslighting. How do I want to respond to that? And what do I want to do with that? Am I going to hold on to it? Or am I going to let it go? Am I going to address it? Or am I going to put it in a box in my head and come back to it later when I have time to fully give that the attention? I think that's how we take care of ourselves and our mental while still honoring being Black and, and responding to people how we can. Right, right. Yeah, that's real. Um, and yeah, man, I, I, I think the, I think it may be the last chapter, one maybe second to last chapter. No, it's the last chapter in the book. Um, and I think that like almost all black people can relate to this and we don't look at it this way. Um, but like, usually when it comes to racism, we're the ones that are like actually dealing with this like day in and day out. Uh, yeah. We're the ones that's actually struggling with this. That's not to say that like all people who are not black don't struggle with it, but that's mm-hmm. to say that like, it definitely like sticks to us a little bit more. And when you come to, when you deal with black Christians, like you have to talk about the word you said earlier, grace. Um, and I just want to read this excerpt of your book um, where you're still talking about the same boss literally the same boss. You said, I went to bed that night and woke up up in prayer. I asked God to allow me to show kindness, rid me of this anger and prevent it from interfering with my job or destiny. Some people said I should kill it with kindness, but the word I spoke during my morning prayer was grace. Yes, grace is what I need to show others um, as I wanted to be shown to me. So I got to put my big boy shoes on um, and do it with ease and calm. Um, I got to work after this great prayer and still did not quite hit hit the hit the head on the target. I walked right past him and failed to speak. The grimace on my face was guilt and thoughts of failure. Mm. Talk to me about that. You know, I think that <laughs> so it's similar to going, you know how you go to church or you have an emotional experience somewhere mm-hmm. and then you get out in public and someone cuts you off and it's be this and you going off. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. well, what happened to those tears? Wait a minute. What happened to that? Right. And I think it's similar to that where I was in a good space and I had prayed about it, but just because you, you have a positive attitude in that moment and you, you you're vulnerable with yourself doesn't mean that you're always going to get it right when mm-hmm. it's time to get it right. And mm-hmm. that's okay. And so I recognize that, all right, my intention is good. I've reset. I'm going to go in here and and it's going to be a new day. And then I just didn't quite have the courage to do what I had set out to do. But that doesn't mean that I would never get there. But right then in that moment, I just didn't have the tools that I needed. I I wasn't ready, Um, but I was gearing myself up to get into a better place to respond to him. You know, I always tell people to change your position or change your perspective. 
And so at that time I needed to change my perspective so I could continue going to work every day and continuing to serve the purpose that I really needed to do opposed to appeasing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I mean, that's just like so deep. It's so, it's so layered. Cause like you can have like the strongest prayers you want to have. You can have like the, the strongest amount of willpower that you, that you think you have. But when you pass this person and like, you got to change what you've done for a past year, like, and all those emotions still harbor up. Like when you pass this person in the hallway, yeah. it's so much harder to like actually go into that conversation, like actually do what you said you want to do, especially knowing that like, you're the only one putting forth the effort. In, in right. that like that, right. I think that's the toughest part, like as it relates to like black people and trying to reconcile um or maybe reconcile is not the good word not a good word because you you were never good to start with if we're being real so maybe <laughs> reconcile is not a good word to use but uh make things better yeah so so yeah that's just whew. so i felt that um and i think that like most people can feel that like as it relates to like wanting to do the right thing but still being human yeah that's another one that's another one that i think everybody's experienced at some point in time because you know even if it's not just a race situation it's just a people situation, right? You have that one person that just gets under your skin or, or whatever, and then you have a choice to make. Like, man, am I gonna like be godly and try to walk in love and like, you know, greet them and like do unto them as I want them to do unto me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, or am I going to shrink back and duck and avoid them forever? You know, <laughs> yeah. that's, that, that's kind of how it feels. It's almost like I work, next to this person. I don't want to see them again in my life. So I do think, I think you make a really good point about prayer. Um, that's the part I heard you say, you woke up in prayer mm-hmm. and you ask God to like help you do that, mm-hmm. which I think is the key. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's not willpower that makes a person become more spiritual mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or more good. Mm-hmm. It's actually just God. <laughs> so kudos kudos to you for that um I'm, I'm gonna switch the subject so if you got another one yeah let, let me ask this let me ask this yeah. last question about the book um yeah, yeah maybe, maybe two more questions i'm not necessarily sure but um we talked about the bars man um what i'm referencing is that you said that you know what i can't talk to this guy about this this is i mean i imagine you thought that this would probably get me fired so let me let me right. write this let me yeah. write this and you went in it's about two pages of what you would have said to him. And once yeah. I, re- and I was on a plane when I read this and I was yeah. like, this man would have got fired. I'm glad he didn't say this. <laughs> uh, and right. Yeah. It was, these were, bars, the random. these were, these, these were bars, bars. These, this was uh 2004 Lil Wayne bars. This was, yeah. this, <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, he was, he was in silence like lasagna. <laughs> I would love to read, read this. I, I would love to read something to you, but I want y'all to buy the book again, the courage of a single freckle. Uh, navigating your black. Uh, and the whole point is for people to reflect on the things that I write in here. And I, I think that we are an ever evolving people. Mm-hmm. So even things in my perspective now from when I wrote this is also um, still growing. You know, I also recognize that everybody black isn't the same. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody black doesn't have the same black experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be sitting real close to somebody, but really far away because your experiences are just different and that's okay. But what we have in common is the way people view us. We have in common what we have every day and that's our skin color. So that's always gonna be on our multiple choice list of things of why people are responding to us the way they are. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a quick question because, you know, I remembered that you um, had a degree. So you're, you're a doctor. Okay. And, uh, one of the specialties or one of the, the areas you studied was sexual trauma. Yeah. I want to ask you about, uh, so um, Jada Pinkett Smith's uh, mother shared on Red Table Talk, and I don't watch Red Table Talk, but it's just something I saw in the headlines um, about her mom speaking about spousal rape. Yeah. Basically said that she'd had times where Jada's dad had had sex with her without her permission, even though they were married. And then it led to this big discussion about sexual trauma. Yeah. And so I think my question for you is like, you know, I know we have female listeners and, and I would love to ask this question of you. Like what, what do you feel are those healing points for um, mm-hmm. women who deal with sexual trauma or even men, you know, cause we hear about Terry Crews and, and, and other people as well. So like, um, what, what would you say are those healing points for people who experience sexual trauma? Like, and, and what are those, those ways that friends can come alongside to help people who deal with stuff like that? Mm. Yeah. So I'm glad that you said women and men who deal with sexual trauma, because, you know, oftentimes the narrative is that women are the only recipients of that, but men are as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the first thing you, so I want to try to get your whole question, believe people. Mm-hmm. first believe people like imagine how traumatizing it must be to share your story and your truth and for people to dismiss it or not believe you similar to racism you know our non-black allies or our non-black friends and family believe us when we say that was racist or believe us when we say that this happened to me so when we talk about sexual trauma no is a complete sentence right and so i think mm-hmm. sometimes when people are in relationships or married just because I consent it today doesn't mean that I consent in five hours from now or whenever you choose that you wanna have sex with me because this is my body. I think knowing what your boundaries are, are really important. Um, But in in terms of healing, find your way of healing. So whether that's church or investing in a higher power or working out or meditation or talking to somebody or writing, find whatever coping mechanism works best for you mm-hmm. and still remain in a place of gratitude. I think gratitude is really important. I know that we usually don't hear gratitude and trauma in the same sentence, but leaning into what's positive, I think can help people. Cause sometimes when something is traumatic to us, we only see that bad thing when sometimes there can be a silver lining, whether that's, but I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah or it wasn't as bad as it could have been, or I do have good family and friends that can support me. So I think finding some gratitude in every day is really helpful. I think people have to take their time and there's no time limit on healing when you experience some type of sexual trauma and knowing that if it didn't feel good to you, it wasn't right. You know, right. I think sometimes right. we, we can question, well, should I be mad about this or should I feel this way? And we're looking for validation from other people to dictate how we should feel. And if we have to do that, more than likely you're justified and validated in what you're experiencing. So we want people to believe us, believe ourselves in knowing, you know, that didn't feel good to me. So I'm not okay with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and teaching people how to treat you. You know, no man or woman should ever have to deal with their body being violated. That's just not, that's not what we were made for. 
That's That's, right. You know, although we're resilient people and we can we can handle a lot, there are some things that we just shouldn't even have to handle. Yeah. 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 That's good. Can I I add on to that just just a little bit? Um, Just like I'm reading Lecrae's book right now. Lecrae recently recently released a book called uh, I Am Restored. Um, And it talks about he talks about how he was sexually abused um, as a kid um, and how like that basically just ended up coming out in a sex addiction. Everybody around him told him it it was good. Like it's good that like somebody older than you wanted to like sleep with you and stuff like that. Um, And that's a problem that we have in culture. And that's like really a problem as it relates to toxic masculinity. Um, So we have to like really get into like as it relates to men, like men can be sexually assaulted. Boys can be sexually assaulted, especially boys. And we have to like, let them know it's okay to talk about that um, and be able to address those things without just like automatically saying that this only happens to women. And if it happens to a man, then it's good because I mean, right. Lecrae like detailed in his book, how like that, that affected him up until like two years ago, Lecrae was 38, two years ago. So like just not realizing how, how it affected him and how it affected his walk and how it affected the way he treated his children um, and his wife and so on and so forth. Like we gotta do a better job of like, having those conversations with men. And I can say that as a school counselor, who's like talk to people who have been sexually abused and like them not even realize that's what it was. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But it, it starts, I think with, not necessarily it starts here, but parents and, and communities help that narrative. You know, mm-hmm. when, we tell, when we tell boys, um, get up and stop crying or boys don't mm-hmm. do that or don't be like that. That's a narrative that people remember and yep. that sticks with them. So we have to be careful how we treat people just because they're a boy. Mm-hmm. You know, abuse is abuse. And just like, I think Lil Boosie, it was, now yep. I didn't actually, um, I heard about it and I read some headlines where he was saying that he had an older woman sleep with his son mm-hmm. or something oh. like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was Lil Boosie. Yeah, and so I just think that, A, you just admitted to letting your child get sexually abused yeah, and isn't that like a crime? <laughs> that that's a crime, and there's yeah, prostitution. So yeah, and just because you right. expose your child at an early age to sex doesn't necessarily dictate what their sexual orientation is going to be. You can't control that mm-hmm. as a parent. You hopefully would accept your child, however they chose to navigate their life or however they accepted themselves. Uh, but and you want to know you want to know the irony of that situation. He's the same parent that was speaking out against Zaya, which is Dwayne Wade's son that turned to a girl because that child's too young to make that decision. I'm like, how are you going to say that Zaya's too young to make a decision while you up here putting your little son, letting him get, you know, sexual favors from a grown woman? (laughs) So if that's your child always has the decision what they want to do with their person. You know, and so why pass judgment on Zaya and her family when you're doing all of this stuff to your family? You know, let's let's stick around our own front doors first and let's realize that yeah. we're no better than the next person and everybody deals with things differently and that's okay. We just don't have to judge people and treat people like trash just to make ourselves feel better about what we're doing because that's just not, that just, that just isn't cool, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, Ooh. absolutely. Um, and it's tacky. And, and for um, for our less melanated uh, viewers, Lil Boosie is a rapper. Rapper. Uh, he was around. He's been around for a hot minute. 
He has Southern great rap. Um, he has the uh, Negro anthem. Uh, Wipe me down. Wipe me down. Uh, <laughs> remix. So, with that being said, uh, that is who Lil Boosie is. Um, but I do have another question um, as it relates to trauma. Um, I think this is a trauma that, like, people hadn't necessarily talked about. But I do think that the 2016 election was a traumatic experience for a lot of people. Um, just, like, not knowing um, that that was going to happen. Um, yeah. And then, like, Trump becomes elected and you start to question everything. So I'm not saying that Trump is going to win again, but I am saying that like we will not release another episode before the next election is over. So like, what would you say to somebody like who had a traumatic experience in 2016 and 2020? Like, it's a good chance that that like their candidate may not win because both sides feel like their candidate's going to win. Like, yeah, period. So like, what would you say to them for them to be able to prepare for a letdown? Woo. Uh, you know, we need to vote. Mm-hmm. You know, election day is not the, it's not the only day to vote. It's the last day to vote. Mm-hmm. So voting, that's where it starts. Um, mm-hmm. So you can at least know that you help contribute to something that you wanted to see happen. Mm-hmm. And if the candidate that you want to vote or that you want to win doesn't win the election, we have to find some type of acceptance in that. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, we can only do what we can do. Uh, and accept those things that we cannot change, right? So how do you accept this didn't happen the way that I wanted it to and what can I do today? Because just like today started, today will end and I have to continue putting one foot in front of the other. So I think sometimes we get so caught up in and out there that we lose in here, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so how can I take care of myself? How can I take care of my own, my own being? And so if you wake up on election day, so even back in 2016, I went to bed. I just said, I can't. I went to bed and then I woke up and then it was, it was who it was. And I was like, oh my God. And so practice self care. I was in shock. Yes. Practice I almost self-care. didn't go to work. Right. So if that means that you need to exercise to get your mind off of it or surround yourself with positive people or keep off social media, I think it starts with taking care of yourself as much as you can around that time. If you know that that's going to be a stressful, you know, that's going to be a stressful night for the country. Mm-hmm. No matter which side of the fence you are on, because everybody's rooting for who they want to win. Mm-hmm. You know, I was uh, anxious watching uh, who was playing this weekend, the, um, the Seahawks and I forget who they played. The Seahawks and, was, and the Cardinals. Yeah. So I, I was rooting for um, my Seahawks mm-hmm. and they lost, but I was anxious you know, as it went into overtime. And I think we feel that that same thing with elections because we want who we want to win because we invested and we see change coming from that person. So practice self-care, accept the things that we cannot change, figure out how you can take care of yourself and your own family. And the work just isn't done. No matter who wins, the work is not done. So figure out a way that you you can help contribute to your own community. And I, and I would say this too, you know, a lot of people want that right to complain mm-hmm. about the way things are. I feel like if you vote, then you give yourself more of that right. If yeah. you did not vote, then what you complaining about, bro? You didn't even try, <laughs> you know? And also find gratitude, you know? So like, let's say that yeah. we, we wake up in a couple of weeks and, and the person that we didn't want to win won. Mm-hmm. What's still positive about this day? What's still positive in my life and what's happening? You know, we get into a a mood of complaining when sometimes there's still a silver lining. I think we can make meaning 
out of anything. Uh, and yeah. so if we can at least find one thing that's positive, I think that that can also help in the acceptance and the healing journey for what we are about to embark on. See, that's yeah. how I know you're a pro, man. I like the way you flipped that just now. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So just, I, you're, you're a pro. <laughs> you, you heard it here first. Um, and, and I hope that, like, my fear with this election is that, like, everybody's, like, made a huge push to vote, vote, vote. Um, like, this is, like, one of the most polarizing elections um, of my lifetime that I can yeah. think of. So my hope is that, like, people just continue to vote. Like, not every four years, but, like, actually, like, actually vote. Because uh, I feel like the language has made it so, so like dire that if you lose, then you could be demoralized. And I hope that doesn't happen like for our society. Yeah. So there'll be there will be a couple protests either way. And yeah. uh, like 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 uh, the doctor said, while those protests and riots are going on, we got to find a silver lining and uh, and realize, man, that's things to be grateful for. Yeah. And that's my mindset. I'm taking right now. I'm prepared for that trump <laughs> if it happens yeah all right so um cool Dustin, like dr dotson i'm sorry um we got a segment we didn't do it last time it's called what's on your playlist um basically there's just like three songs three or five songs that you listen to right now that you really really like he was not prepared <laughs> for this so i will let y'all know that right now his face says it all <laughs> okay um all right so i am a person of variety Mm -hmm. uh, so Drake landed, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm gonna have to look in my phone on this one, y'all. No, it's all good. It's all good. So Sometimes I have to do the same thing. It's so Oops. funny, man. Dwayne Woods, Let Go. It's a gospel song and it lifts me, uh, and it just talks about letting go and letting God. Mm -hmm. And so I'll say Drake that song and then <laughs> um you know i got a little uh crime mob nuck if you got going <laughs> over here it's one of the last hey, songs I downloaded. uh What's you that know, workout music right and so you know just a little bit of everything and then i have some big sean going on so i would say that those are my <laughs> that's what i'm in rotation with yeah. is the last few songs that i've downloaded um you know little yin yang twins you know i like it all variety <laughs> yeah you know they say nook if you book is the black uh atlanta anthem yep easily it's, it's a easily. universal it is a universal truth that we have. <laughs> because that's, we and that's one of the few songs that's one of the few songs in history that you can listen to and like the women wash the men like absolutely wash the men like Both rap songs like that doesn't happen often it's not me being sexist it's just like me telling the truth that does not happen often and everybody want to come to the club shake their dress yeah <laughs> right like, i'm bald and i just be like this shaking my head left <laughs> that's crazy I, I i agree with you i think i know their verses better than than the guys yes, yes. absolutely so, very easily yeah, yeah easily and another shameless plug for the book uh uh, Dr. Dyson also talks about uh, his music experience and talking about music with people who are not his color. Um, and that's a really, really, I, I would love to share it with you, but just read the book, just buy the book. We will link the book in here. Uh, but it's a really, really dope, uh, it's a really, really dope assessment of that, of how you talk about music and also how other people perceive it, mainly the people who you are, you are pouring into the most. So like, I really did enjoy that part of the book as well. But I think that's gonna wrap us up for today. Um, Dr. Yeah, Dyson, yeah. it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. 
Thanks Man, for coming. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate you both. I, gratitude. Um, I appreciate <laughs> you, you both for allowing me to share with you guys. For you guys to have this dope platform, you know, I think we're talking about history, but you guys continue to make history as two black males with this podcast and to have a variety of guests. So kudos and big ups to you guys. Um, everybody can purchase my book on Amazon.com and books uh, BarnesandNoble.com. The Courage of a Single Freckle, Navigating Your Black. Please go get it. Tell a friend. Buy it. Um, use it. Uh, and, you know, keep waking up every day and putting one foot in front of the other. Wow. That's good. Hey, y'all heard that. Uh, also, man. last appreciate thing. Appreciate you for your words of encouragement. Hey, I appreciate it. Hey, last thing. Hey, Ryan, we hit a new milestone. We have surpassed 2,000 streams. Uh, so Can we get a round of applause right there? Hey, that is a big step. We appreciate everybody who's listened thus far. Uh, we hope that you guys continue to listen and continue to uh, push us moving forward. Real quick, shout out to uh, Dana Moore. Shout out to Brad Bennett. Shout out to uh, Laura Wisma. Uh, shout out to Meredith Wilson. Those are all people who, uh, shout out to Paul, Paul Poto. These are people who have all like unsolicited sent me text messages saying how great our podcast is and how much they like to listen to it. We did not have a conversation. They just reached out to me and told me. So shout out to y'all. Y'all are people who make the podcast go. So we appreciate y'all. But that's it for Unconformed Podcast. I'm Darius Watkins. Yep, I'm Ryan Thomas. Hey, and we out.